Welcome to Hadley Presents. I'm your host, Ricky Anger, inviting you to sit back, relax, and enjoy a conversation with the experts. In this episode, IT professional and stand-up comic Todd Blankhorn joins us to share his story. Welcome to the show, Todd. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's so great to have you here. And it's uh, it's interesting. I'll just say that. It's interesting how you ended up uh, on the show with us. I feel like everybody is connected. Uh, we interviewed New York Times columnist Frank Bruni a while back. You had communicated with him as well. And uh, you ended up in his current book, which is really pretty cool. That's how we found out about you. And uh, so we figured, why not? Let's have you on the show. Why don't we start by uh, just having you tell us a bit about yourself and uh, kind of what you do for your day job and then maybe what you do uh, outside that. Sure. My name is Todd Blankhorn. I live in Toronto. I'm 45 years old. I work for the CNIB. All my titles lead enterprise application and accessibility support. Basically, I support our Salesforce system and some accessibility stuff with outside vendors and internal systems. And then on the side, I'm a stand-up comedian. Nice. I can't wait to hear more about that. Uh, but before we do that, I was just thinking it's really kind of an interesting thing that when people in the blind and low vision community start connecting with each other, there's kind of this icebreaker and it's like, hey, what's your eye condition? And then, oh, I have that or my friend has that. Um, but I think for you, it's kind of a rarity what you have. Can you tell us what your eye condition is and kind of how you got diagnosed and that kind of thing? I have optic neuropathy. Sometimes they call it ischemic optic neuropathy. So I don't, I don't really know the difference, um, which is the same thing that Frank Bernie has, which is how I got in touch with him. Yeah. So it's a bit unusual. It's usually a condition that people ha- get hit with in their mid fifties or sixties where they'll have one or two episodes where they lose sight in one eye and then possibly the second eye, uh, usually in the central vision. But mine was different. Mine started when I was eight. Uh, I've had maybe 20 attacks. So I still have a little bit of vision left in my left eye. They basically don't know why I have this or what causes it. But it's it's, it's really weird because it happens seasonally in the spring or fall. So they don't know what causes it or what the underlying condition is. Just uh, that I have optic neuropathy. And so I guess if they don't know what causes it or what can bring on an attack and that kind of thing, they probably didn't know what your vision loss progression was going to look like either. So when you were diagnosed uh, as a child, did they tell you at the time, oh, hey, this is it and you probably won't lose any more vision? Or how much did you know at that point about what was going to happen? They really didn't know because they couldn't diagnose it for years. Um, so like I said, I was eight years old. So and it was sudden vision loss. Like I woke up one morning and I couldn't see out of my right eye, almost all of my right eye. We went to the doctor. They did like MRIs and CAT scan and stuff, but they'd warned my parents that uh, there was a good chance it was a brain tumor, uh, which is awful, but it ended up kind of being a good thing because it put things in perspective when it turned out to be just vision loss, right? So it was, uh, yeah, it was sudden like that. And it took them a long time. They diagnosed a whole bunch of different things. And so like my parents were researching something called Lieber's disease. It sounded horrible and it turned out not to be that. So we had a few scares, but it's just one of those things that they can't really explain. Yeah. And so you 
were never sure, I guess, even from day to day, what was going to happen next, how much vision you were going to have. But uh, was it then pretty gradual as it progressed? Or did you have, you know, major thing after major thing? At the beginning, it was major when I had more to lose, I guess. Um, Like my right eye went almost all at once. And like a year later, I lost the rest of my right eye and the bottom half my left eye. And then the attacks got smaller and smaller because there's not that much there. And they, they were never sure. I was part of a surgical trial in at University of Kentucky where they actually went in behind my eye and they said that everything back there is really big. So they didn't know if that caused it or I don't know. I've been told a million things by a million doctors. And I think basically no one really knows. <laughs> <laughs> right. So things did progress. And uh, at some point you actually began traveling with a cane. And then after that, you transitioned to a guide dog. How did all of those transitions come about? Did somebody have to convince you, hey, look, you're not traveling safely. You got to do this. Or was it more a decision that you made yourself based on things that happened or, you know, how did all that come about? Well, I was always really resistant to using a cane, which I don't think is uncommon, but when my, I had kids. uh, So when my youngest son was born, I had another attack when he was eight months old. And at that point I knew like I, I couldn't travel safely. I couldn't take my kids out safely. Like they were a baby and three years old. And obviously at that point it's, you got to suck it up and got to be safe for them. Right. So I started with that. And then, I'd been using a cane for a while. My family and everything had always encouraged me to get a dog. So I looked into it and it seemed like a good fit. So I got one and uh, the independence was just, I, I really like it. It took me a long time to get used to having a dog, but it still has challenges, but I like it a lot better than a cane. Yeah, I think that's really common for a lot of people and especially for people who maybe still have some vision. There's always that feeling of it's hard to trust the dog because I can see just enough to get in trouble and I think I know what I'm doing, but I really don't. Did you ever have any instances like that or were you pretty much like, okay, I'm all in now? No, that's kind of the hardest thing is is, uh, if you can see a bit like I can, it's almost unconscious, right? Like you kind of override the dog when he's trying to do something and the dog's always right. (laughs) Yes. Right. Like if if he tries to go one way and I correct him and then I trip over something and you start to realize, yeah, maybe he's right. So it's, it's a trust thing, but it takes a while. So given that you have experienced kind of a, a gradual shift in vision loss, I guess, and you've had, you know, some some periods where, oh, it's gradual and then some where you lose a lot, but you had, I guess, the baseline, which is you appeared to be fully sighted. And then you had a period where, you know, you've lost some vision, but maybe you're not traveling with any sort of mobility device. And then you are traveling with one, but you still have some vision and that gradually decreases. And I think going through that, you've had a lot of chance to observe just how people behave towards you. So what kinds of things did you notice from, say, I guess your baseline, everybody thinks you're sighted, to then what started to change as your vision did? Yeah, it's it's funny. It's kind of a, both situations are difficult, right? Like when I was walking around without a cane and didn't seem to be visually impaired, I had very little peripheral vision. So I'd walk into people or trip over stuff or just do kind of dumb things. Or I was young, didn't look like anything was wrong with me. If I bump into somebody, then I've had people like get mad at me or whatever, or I've knocked stuff over and just kind of look dumb. Like one time when I was a teenager, back when you could smoke everywhere, I was at a movie at the movies and we were on in the balcony 
um, on a mezzanine and I tripped over an ashtray and I knocked it. Oh, no. Yeah, I went over the railing onto the concession stand below. <laughs> so I mean, stuff like that. I don't look like I'm blind and I do something like that. So that's hard. But then it's different once you start using a cane, everyone can see you're blind. And it's that's hard too, right? Because then you, you do get treated differently. People talk to you differently or people talk to my wife instead of me or I don't know. I've had people try and give me directions when I'm like in the middle of Young Street in Toronto, which is like a six lane, like super busy street. And someone will talk to me in the middle of the road. Like it's just, I don't know, people mean well, but. And you wonder like, how do they know where you, (laughs) how do you know where I'm going? I don't think you do. Yeah. And I'm in the middle of traffic. Just let me go. It's fine. And I think you do have to laugh at things like that because otherwise it can really start to feel overwhelming so humor really is important you know for all of us it's good that we can laugh at ourselves it's good that we can laugh with people and so on and so i I guess we all do that to some degree but you actually took it a step further and you decided hey you know what i'm pretty funny and i'm gonna do stand-up how did that come about like what (laughs) first of all how did you have I think that takes a lot of courage to do that. And then how did you decide, okay, uh, this is the kind of material I'm going to focus on? Yeah, it's I, I've always loved stand-up. From when I was a little kid, when, when I grew up, we didn't have air conditioning in the house. So in the summer, my brother and I would sleep in our basement on the floor and we'd watch Evening at the Improv back then. So I remember like the very first time I saw Norm MacDonald, he was my comedy hero. Sometimes we, my brother and I would sneak out, sneak up and watch SNL. So I've always liked it and I've always kind of thought I wanted to try it, but I never kind of had the, I never, never had the guts to do it. But then when I get to the point where I lost all my sight is we're in a different city from where I grew up and that's kind of thought, well, what the hell? I'm in my forties now. I might as well just give it a shot. If I don't do it now, I'll always regret it. So I took a class and uh, it went really well. So I stuck with it. Wow. Okay. So there was a class that you were able to take that talks about what kinds of things did you learn in that like how to compose a joke that wouldn't be too long or too short or whatever or maybe how do you behave on stage like what did they cover the biggest thing is editing so I took a course at Second City in Toronto and uh, got to do a performance at the John Candy Theater which was pretty amazing but yeah that's basically it's just classes with just people who haven't done this before and uh, like a professional comedian and the biggest thing is they can't teach you how to be funny obviously but editing, everyone tries to write these really long storytelling jokes when they start. Everyone does it. Every single person I've met. And you can't do it for years. It takes a long time to get to that point. So that's basically the biggest thing they do is teach you how to take an idea and get the funny part out of it and make it short and kind of punchy. So uh, I, I do call myself blind or uh, taught sometimes. <laughs> Depends on the circumstances. If I'm in a meeting, like going into a conference call at work, I say, I don't say, I'm blind, I say, it's Todd. <laughs> uh, obviously, I'm super charismatic, so everybody knows what I am already, right? <laughs> to be honest, uh, I'm not sure if I can call myself blind. So, like, they change these terminologies all the time. So, calling myself blind, I might be oppressing myself, right? <laughs> I have to, like, start a hashtag or some sort of walk. But, you know, we're in Canada, we're lucky, we have great healthcare. The eye doctors are great here. You know, he says, I've seen this a lot. We know exactly what to do. Here's this metal pole. Uh, Let's have it in front of yourself and we'll see in like a year. I guess you have a lot of material to 
pull from, you know, from your daily life. I feel like we can all, you know, anybody with vision loss has at least one story where something happened that was just completely ridiculous and, you know, kind of goes into your archives of things that you're like, you wouldn't believe what this person said or did or whatever. Do you have one that really stands out for you? Just a story that is super funny or that you had to laugh at because it was so ridiculous? Yeah, for sure. Um, and you're right. I kind of feel like like having vision loss, I feel like it's almost a superpower when it comes to this because we do all have those stories. The one I always think of that I think is funny is uh, I used to work at a hospital. I was I did like the data and reporting and stuff in the surgical department. So I worked with all these heads of service, all these surgeons. And one time after a meeting, I was walking out of the hospital with a chief of neurosurgery, like a brain surgeon. And I had my cane and we were walking out the door and it was raining out. And he said, oh, it's really raining, Todd. I hope you're not parked too far. <laughs> and what did you say? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not driving. It's a brain surgeon. I don't know. <laughs> There's stuff like that. It's just people don't. People aren't used to being around blind people, right? So I don't know. That's probably part of it. But it's funny. Yeah. And people just don't know what to say. And, you know, sometimes they will be really afraid to say anything and afraid to say the wrong thing or sometimes they just think you know well i will just open my mouth and let's see what comes out so yeah we get lots of lots of funny stuff but it's not always about the laughs i guess i mean as cool as it is to be able to laugh at ourselves and you know take things a little less seriously there are some things about vision loss that are hard to talk about and you know they are serious i feel like when we make jokes they're a way to talk about the important things um in a kind of a safe way but sometimes you do have to go a little deeper and talk about the serious stuff do you think there are things about vision loss that really don't get a lot of attention and should Oh, for sure. And you're right. I think that one of the reasons I started this was because there is, when there's something that's painful, then you can have fun with that sometimes. But I find, I think the thing we don't talk about enough, and it might not be everybody, but with my vision loss being so gradual, we never really talked about anxiety and like mental health challenges around that. And it's not part of primary care, and it probably should be. Like I know with myself, I started having panic attacks uh, when I had kids. My son the first one I had, we were at a playground and my wife had my younger son at a different part. He was just a baby. And my three-year-old son at the time fell and knocked the window to himself. So he was hurt and he was scared and he was like 10 feet in front of me. I didn't know he was there. So, I mean, stuff like that, it's, you wouldn't even think of a situation like that, but it caused a panic attack. And like, I've had panic attacks ever since then. So I think kind of the mental health aspect of it maybe isn't talked about enough and it's kind of easy to think, well, I'm doing fine with this one. You're probably not. And are there things that have helped you knowing that you have panic attacks now? Are there things that have helped you in addition to just being able to laugh at things? Are there things that you do like for either relaxation or things that, you know, connecting with other people that have helped anything like that? Yeah, I was saying I'm lucky that my wife is incredibly supportive. My kids are it's just normal. So they're really good. Um, I've done counseling about it, uh, which is another kind of issue I think that isn't recognized is even getting 
counseling or mental health support. I've been to a few counselors who've not known how to help me because they don't know how to deal with someone who has a disability that's progressing. What do you think would be kind of an important thing for some for counselors to know? But yeah, and how much of a challenge is that when you are reaching out for help and uh, yet you're sort of having to educate that mental health professional about how to deal with someone with a disability, even though you're overwhelmed yourself. Yeah, it makes it really difficult. So I don't know if there's if there's something that should be maybe dealt with, but so when when is uh, your next stand up? Like, how long are you uh, are you doing tours? Are you how are you approaching that? Uh, I've been really lucky, actually. I've been getting a good reception. So um, there's a bunch of people who put on shows in Toronto that have been inviting me on. I'm doing actually a whole bunch, probably seven or eight in the next few weeks. I'm doing a Star Wars theme one next week. That'll be interesting on May the 4th. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Well, may the 4th be with you. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. If people want to uh, either know more about what's going on in your world or eventually catch uh, maybe some comedy clips, is there a place that they can go to check that out? Yeah, sure. Uh, Just my name, Todd Blankhorn, B-L-E-N-K-H-O-R-N on YouTube or Facebook or Instagram. Fantastic. Well, this has been super fun and uh, certainly illuminating. And I uh, admire you for what you're doing in terms of uh, actually getting out there and saying, hey, you know, (laughs) I've always wanted to do stand up. So what's the harm in it? And uh, I think that's amazing. Anything else you want to leave us with before we wrap up? Nice. I appreciate you having me on here. This has been a lot of fun. So I actually ended up getting a guide dog. And people are uh, people are crazy about dogs, but they're out of their minds when it comes to guide dogs. I don't get it. <laughs> I was, uh, honestly, this isn't a joke, I was sitting in a coffee shop with my guide dog, and a person came over and said, can I give your guide dog a cheese danish? <laughs> I don't even know how to answer that. He's already had a cheese danish. <laughs> He's doing keto, we can't have cart. Stupidest question in the world. Um, Like everyone knows the rules around guide dogs. You just don't acknowledge them, act like they don't exist. Every day someone will pet my dog. And they always say the same thing. I know I'm not supposed to, I can't help it. So what I like to do is when they bend down and pet my dog, I punch them as hard as I can. Which I know I'm not supposed to, but I just can't help it. It's been great. Thank you so much, Todd. Got something to say? Share your thoughts about this episode of Hadley Presents or make suggestions for future episodes. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at podcast at hadley.edu. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at hadley.edu. Or leave us a message at 847-784-2870. Thanks for listening. 